This is the Rev Thinking Podcast. Insights and conversation between creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. Creativity is a power for good, and it is at its core a tool to solve problems. I think many times we make it about winning a new account, extending an SOW, solving a production issue, dealing with the curveball on a, <clears throat> on, a, on a campaign. But it's like that engagement between a suite of creative people and a set of marketeers or brand is about being very honest about the problem we're trying to solve and not using creativity as a strategy to figure out the brief. So like not using the, the, the work that is being presented back to be the strategy because sometimes there are lazy marketeers. There's like no question. If the, if the brief is saying, hey, grow market share, that doesn't really tell you very much. And so you're coming back with a whole bunch of stuff. And then you might see something, a lazy marketeer will see something and go, oh, that's kind of what I meant. And then we're spending endless amounts of time in creative review and wasted time with designers and the like. Um, it's just a, it's a waste. Well, you're reminding me of um, Simon Sinek, right? Who we're all indebted to for his start with why mm-hmm. thing that he gave us many, many years ago. Um, but he talked about your why can't be to make money. Even as a business, your why cannot be to make money. And that's a bit of what I heard you say, right? Like the brief can't just say, go get more market share, AKA go get more money. (laughs) That, yeah, I would agree. I don't think that's a very productive uh, objective in a brief. Yeah, I mean, I'll be a little philosophical here. I think there's like two things that come together to make great work. You have on like one side, you know, you can have a very practical, pragmatic, sort of engaged, thoughtful marketing partner who's doing the research to get to an insight, understanding the, you know, kind of the customer challenge, understanding sort of the target market channels, routes to market. What's the make? I say that a lot on my teams. What are we making? Because everything here is so ethereal, doesn't mean anything. So why are we asking them to make something that's not on the make? And then on the other side of the collision, you have creative agencies and creative partners or advertising agencies who really live in a world of um, alchemy. Like there's some magic because one person was really um, inspired by a conversation and a late night brainstorm. And that's another thing that I missed during COVID, which we maybe we can get into later, but mm-hmm. sort of what we're lacking in this disconnected time. And there's an alchemy. And so a very kind of pragmatic system needs to meet a very esoteric system. And, and many times great work can come out of it. But it's like when the opposite is happens, um, where you might have a marketeer who's coming from chaos and there's no clarity and it's crazy. And then you have an agency who very regimented with a very thorough six phase process, which always starts with discovery phase and, you <laughs> know, and, a, and a thank you slide at the end of the deck. So you just have all this and then, and then it's just a mess. And so I think, you know, the, the, the role of, of marketing has changed. We have to be better clients, better partners. And, you know, I've gone on a few rounds on that on, on a few well, days. You're, you're already calling me out because I'm thinking of how many times when I was running my agency, again, st- studio, production company, um, insert whatever term you like. And yeah, I think every deck we ever presented had a thank you at the end. So thanks for cold busting me right there. <laughs> I joked in an agency um, chemistry review last week that I would have been really pleased to see fuck you at the end of it. Because, <laughs> to be honest, at least, like, I, I guess to, to my point, and this is really, it's kind of funny, but I'll be honest. What is the point of the thank you slide? Yeah. I'll be super honest. It's like you, every slide should mean something. Yeah. Every slide we should be distilling every, because the goal is not actually presenting is telling a story. You are coming in and you're meeting a new partner. 
whether or not it's pitching on new business or, you know, whatever, <clears throat> or refreshing kind of your, your capabilities. Everything is, 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 it should be meaningful. And then you finish it with a slide to say, thank you. It kind of makes you think, I mean, I, I obviously lived and worked in Europe for very many years. You know, you're, you're, you're delivering that you're thankful and polite. Well, I, I use that slide. Anyway. Yeah, exactly. It's the token throwaway, which means, oh, so it's kind of disingenuous. If you were really thankful, you wouldn't have a slide that just said, thank you. But, um, well, let me, let, me, let me give at least a, a little extra context to people that don't know your story or that maybe went and listened to the other, the Adweek podcast. Because um, I was going to ask you, maybe in a sentence, if you could, uh, you made the, you've been on this journey, right, from BBC, Red B, to Sky, to IMAX. What's the, that journey of a marketeer been like for you over that, uh, <clears throat> over that season or a, period in your life? Yeah, it's a great question. I think there's a couple things. I think one, working outside of my home market, I'm, I'm an American, was really helpful. And so mm-hmm. I think that trajectory was, was about a lot of, a lot of, a lot of learning and, 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 and changing the way I think about what a marketeer should bring. So, so I've seen sort of three very distinct impulses of that. I think the other thing is, um, you know, Sky does still have, and they're just wonderful humans. And, and, uh, you know, I still get so many messages from the colleagues and they're all kind of in different places in the world and now part of Comcast, but like Sky has, I think the largest in-house agency in Europe. So, you know, I was also very privileged to see the benefit of in-house agency versus external agency versus marketeer versus brand um, content marketing versus brand marketing. Again, a lot of companies don't understand the difference between the two in terms of in-house. You have very strong content marketing people, let's say theatrically, but they don't necessarily understand product marketing and brand marketing because that's not the world they come from. Uh, and then you'll see the opposite where you have really strong brand marketers who do, don't do content. And then in IMAX, it's been kind of the melding of both because we sit in the middle of an ecosystem between studios and filmmakers, <clears throat> products, technology. Um, so yeah, it's been a, it's been a great journey. So now you've been uh, CMO at IMAX now for how many years? Uh, for over three years. And I've been at the org for four and a half years. So okay. I'm well past my sell by date, which I'm always reminded of. Right. Um, right. The, 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 uh, the stats, right. The excruciatingly short CMO tenure that we all hear about. Yeah. You've, You've made it far beyond that. Um, could you say in a nutshell uh, for, you know, again, think of an audience here, listeners that are probably owners of an agency or a production company, creative studio, something like that. Um, if you were going to say in a, in a sentence what you do as CMO at IMAX, what does a CMO do in that setting? You know, I think it's changed a lot. And so I can I can land the question of for, for IMAX, but I think more broadly, the, the C-suite and the, the CMO role has, and if you read any of the articles, it's just transitioned. You know, there has to be a strong partnership between CMO and CTO. You're the, you're the heartbeat of the audience. Um, you are there to drive commercial and performance growth. There's all these sort of fancy words. You know, I think the buck stops with me. I think the goal is, you know, for, for me, my job is to put sort of the audience and our partners um, sort of at the heart of everything we do. Um, but through um, a lot of, I think, meticulous architecture on the back end. So, you mm. know, making the case to the board, being very clear about, um, you know, what are the bullseye brand projects that we need to land this year, being a cheerleader for our team. And, and we forget, and I think this is a really important point, chief marketing officers are tired. They're very exhausted. They will never tell you it. But it's, it's a tiring job. So one of the things that we need to do are be cheerleaders and energize the brand and our partners and our people. 
So I think there's a real role to be, I don't want to say like a thought leader, you don't have to do <clears throat> write thought, thought leader pieces, to, but to be the energizing force to create change. Um, it's the most brilliant uh, job in the world, and it is uh, really tough. Well, I'm going I'm, to, I'm curious if you can maybe confirm um, or reject something that I'm having in my, in my head, and that is I think there might be a simplistic view out there that when someone hears chief marketing officer, they think, oh, the person responsible for marketing, aka they're the ones making sure getting the word out, creating awareness, doing a bunch of the advertising and that stuff. But I think it's far more holistic based on what you said, because I heard you saying things about almost like getting into the product and the experience and the maybe the customer lifecycle relationship, those kinds of things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, part of our part of our, our focus has been to broaden the tent. You know, we, we, we can get into this conversation, but, you know, the theatrical versus streaming is not a thing. You know, for us, we've had record-breaking results. We're really happy and excited when, when, when fans around the world, and we're in 85 countries, over 1,600 locations, feel safe to go to the theater to get a very specific presentation of something we do in partnership with studio and with filmmaker that we have to have the product represent kind of the reality on the ground in a post-COVID world, as well as broadening the tent. So if we need to broaden the tent in exhibition, it means products like we've been doing more live music in a really unique way that's really, really bespoke to us. So we've been working with folks like Kanye to do um, specialty events that speak to his fandom and to do it in a way that only we can. And if the CMO is not part of that conversation, then you're just, um, then you're just doing advertising. So I, just to touch on that real quick, because I know we're going to kind of go back high again, but specifically when I think about streaming, I bet a lot of people are like, oh, IMAX must hate streaming because that's taking people out of your theater and I'm watching whatever on my phone. But you just said, no, there's actually a, there's a current solve and a future for streaming at IMAX. Yeah, I think we're very binary as humans. I think this has not been helped through COVID. So it's, mm-hmm. you know, is it good for you or is it bad for you? That's, I don't think there's an answer to that. Streaming is, is, is a fantastic tool to deliver convenience and value and choice. You know, I came from that world. I understand the, um, the complementary the basis that both those things offer. And for us, we have sort of the most premium super fans. So they're going to movies two or three times, watching them over and over again, and they're enjoying them at home. They're not choosing one or the other. There is a target audience who chooses to perhaps choose home for whatever reason. It could be health and safety. It could be convenience. It could be a younger family. And that's great. And I personally, I'm not speaking for IMAX. I'm very happy that there are products and services, but our goal is to tap into that fandom, which means we get sellouts on the moment we put out tickets on something like the Batman. And, you know, I can't talk about movies that much. And I many times, because I'm lucky enough, I do sometimes feel like a dead inside marketeer where I'm like, I I don't get as excited anymore on everything. That Uh was being a little honest. But, you know, there have been some movies this year that I've been able to preview where I just can't stop smiling. I cannot tell you how excited I am for someone who is a like core fan of Batman as a hypothetical example to lose their mind when they when they get to experience it in kind of pitch perfect presentation which we're working towards it's just the coolest thing and it will be i'm sure available on home like many other things will be down the road and you know that'll be great but it's not binary yeah right like i'm not hearing a binary thing coming from you either that says streaming is 
bad for IMAX streaming is good for IMAX. It's like, it's this blended, uh, I think, future that you seem to be heading into. I think it's just a reminder that we have to do continue to do a better job and that exhibition, our partner's exhibition, we're not an exhibitor. So we work with fantastic exhibitors around the world to continue to do, do a good job to offer something competitive um, in the out-of-home movie-going experience, which is one of the biggest commercial kind of out-of-home behaviors in the world. Movie-going is a uh, really important part of, of the global economy. So you said something a minute ago when you said the phrase disconnected time. And I'd love to maybe step back and, and we can even go a little bit philosophical. Um, the, the question I have in my head is, how do you think the state of the world, I mean, that's going pretty high, <laughs> is affecting maybe not just our industry, but us as humans and as creatives? Yeah, I am very... Um philosophical about this because I do feel that um, we don't really know the emotional and psychological effects of, of COVID. Um, we've, I went on a rant the other day, I think it was in a meeting um, where I talked about sacrifice. Hmm. And I feel like the last two years have been a story of sacrifice for people. Don't get to see mom. So I'll make a phone call. Right. Can't have graduation. So we'll go down the streets in cars in open air. Can't be there to hug a friend in a really bad time. So we'll send a note. So for humans, it is a very painful thing. And so, you know, that's the context of humanity. I'll be a little bit philosophical about it. Then you fast forward to like commercial creative marketing, where we're in a business where we have to give bad news all the time. And that is a business I prefer generally to do in person. I'm the kind of person who likes, if it's not working out on something, to have a conversation face-to-face. -face. Or we're working on a campaign and it's like tough news for a partner or a studio or a filmmaker. You really want to sit down and have a conversation face-to-face -face because it's a very vulnerable time and, and you need to let them know that you're in it. You can't do that with 19 boxes on a screen waiting for someone to raise their hand. So I think the creative kind of development um, has really been tough. I think in some ways it's gotten better. I think in some ways I've seen some benefits, which is really interesting in hmm. terms of production execution. Once you d deliver an idea, I've seen some really amazing things from some of our partners, but like on the early side, when you're developing a relationship with a new agency or um, you're trying to break into a new area where a business line needs a new set of creative ideas, I find that really, really debilitated. And, you know, so COVID, we don't know what that's going to do. And then when then we talk about the actual consumers out there who are changing their buying behaviors, when you go for a while, not spraying your room with home spray. I'm just looking at this home spray on this deck. And you're not doing that. You might go, why did I buy that in the first place? And so I think you're going to see calcification with a certain sort of customer type where they've learned to go without something. So they're, they're learning it. We don't go to restaurants a lot. I'm lucky enough to be, you know, um, I'm in, a, you know, I go into the office, but, I, you know, I like to cook. So we would go out to eat a lot. It's not a thing I do too much anymore. And um, it's a slippery slope. And so you gotta, you gotta, you got to find a balance. So I, we're keeping an eye on it. We're doing a lot of research. We're having a lot of conversations. Yeah, I will say it is, it is I think, healthy-wise for us to recognize that there are some benefits. You know, you talk, I think of it as just what I call the Zoom workflow that we've all adapted to. Um, and there are some benefits, but I, I too, I, I, I do tremble a little bit when I think about what is the cumulative toll of all of the stuff that we as creatives are sweeping under the rug. And like you said, sacrificing, 
and sacrificing again and again, right? Like I just had a big trip that I've been planning for a long time that was going to be a very meaningful thing for me and I had to cancel it because of COVID. And I was really mad about that. And uh, what what could I do other than just, oh, well, sacrifice again? And I don't know, like, are you seeing some of that, any, 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 uh, it's seeing it come out sideways anywhere with like you or your team or even your creative agencies. Yeah. I mean, again, I think there's a coping, you know, I, I give a little chat to some people on the team the other day about, you know, last year was about coping. There were so many changes. We operated in so many different markets. So we cope with reopening and closing and you get into a coping that should be temporary. That's just your temporary stasis. It is not kind of the new Island. And so we should acknowledge that it should be that. I do also kind of, again, to go back to kind of the opportunities, I was notorious, I think, at Sky, I was like this a lot, I like things in person, where I wouldn't work with creative agencies that were super far away. I was honest about it. I wasn't one that pretended. I just said, look, you know, especially with a lot of really great British creative creatives that I felt very connected to when we moved back to Los Angeles, I just say, sorry, it's just not something we do. And now I think we have two agencies uh, that we work with pretty regularly based in, in London. And, you know, you kind of make it happen and you realize that, you know, your need state changed. And there's great work coming out of very many places. So I hope it opens up, you know, more for, for agencies, particularly when agencies need to build their P&L and need to build new business. And it's on top of mind. And there's there are things that people need to try and not just say, hey, look, if we got this piece of business, would you, would you, um, we would open an office in the city for you. It's like, no, that's not, that's not a good sign. That's actually kind of an interesting segue because when I think about the role of empathy in our creative industry right now, and I found myself listening to you and saying, mm, wow, the more I get to walk a mile in Denny's shoes, the more I can understand his challenges and what he's dealing with, not only as a professional, but as a human being. And it kind of made me wonder, are there things that you wish your creative partners, agencies and the like, uh, wish that they knew about your world and what it's like to walk in your shoes? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a great, um, I think it's a great question. I, I, you know, I think there's the power, like just the power of engagement between two entities, when you're meeting someone new, you know, be interesting and be interested was a great bit of advice, you know, that I got when I first landed um, UK side. And, um, you know, good provocative questions tell me a lot about a partnership. You know, asking questions to understand where I'm coming from or which problem we're trying to solve is not a place of not doing research. Presenting a lot of ideas that actually are not based in fact doesn't look great from an agency. So I think, you know, at the start, for me, it's always the level and inquisition. And anyone who's worked with me knows this. Like penetrative question is really, I can tell the depth of what someone's asking. If they ask what keeps you up at night, that's sort of a very light touch. If they're really getting into, you know, what is the one thing that would make a difference when you're meeting with the board, that's something very different. Hmm. Um, but it also tells me that they're really keen on fixing a problem that I have versus what the business has. And depending on the marketeer, I think you'll learn a lot. Not everybody is the same. So questions are a great way to get to that. Well, I'm thinking of, uh, what would you say to the person who feels perhaps a little bit off balance with that thought? Because they say, well, 
if I'm having to ask a lot of questions, I look stupid. Like I don't, like I don't know the answers and I'm supposed to have all the answers. You know, I think it comes down to what do you have to lose? It's COVID. We've been living like zombies. So, I mean, really, you know, I remember, I remember when I was doing some, 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 some project types or early on where we were breaking a couple rules and we're working with some big partners and I just said, what's the worst thing you can, you can, you can send me to marketing jail. I mean, you're gonna, you know, you know, give me chemotherapy. I, you know, I don't really know apart from looking slightly like with some pie in your face, I don't know why that's bad. I think the question is to ask really basic questions is not a great thing, right? Yeah. So what is it that IMAX does? Not great. I, I think, you know, setting up the engagement and we talked a little bit about this <laughs> before, but I am not a fan of the Kabuki. I say this a lot in agency presentations. I just say, please don't do the Kabuki. It is not in your benefit. Um, there is no need to do that. Let's jump to being partners. Let's jump to the conversation that is meaningful. Let's, and then what you realize is some people aren't prepared for that because the entire presentation is the kabuki. Hmm. And then you realize that you actually have very little, you have very little to talk about. And I, I tend to work with partners that are inquisitive, have penetrating questions, and actually can create work product in a 45-minute conversation versus a kabuki presentation, which is case studies, previous clients, projects that have nothing to do with us. That's great. But you're already in the room. So you don't need to do that. And why don't you use the time well, given the fact that probably the people in the room are super busy and we're not going to have a lot of time to do this. So use it. And if question asking is the way to go, ask them, but ask them in a really good way, I think. Yeah, I'm hearing you very much debunk what I would call the classic capabilities presentation. Um, I'm also a big fan. There's a line, um, I don't know if it was Blair Enns or David C. Baker. Um, I think it was Blair who said... um, conversations, not presentations. And I think that's a really nice, elegant way of putting it. I'm curious if that resonates with you. Oh, yeah. I mean, anyone who's been in a kind of a a pitch meeting with me um, will see that I just want people to feel really comfortable, but also to know where I'm coming from, right? And to also say that is beautiful. I mean, I, I looked at a piece of work the other day, and I think I said that is beautiful and totally wrong. I, I'm so, it's just stunning looking, but it won't work for us. And it would just finish. And let's move on to the next thing. You know, it's not hurtful. Um, it, it, you know, it, it's, 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 it's surprising how poorly trained marketeers are these days on giving good notes and feedback. So is there anything that strikes you as still broken? Like either in that relationship between uh, the marketeers and the agency or just the, the, the way we approach things in general? I mean, I don't know if I'd say still broken. I think it's stuff that we always have to be aware, be aware of. And, and um, because I've seen it from both sides <clears throat> and it's a partnership. So everybody has to do their job in the baton pass. And so the person that's looking to create work that solves a problem needs to be prepared. They need to understand what we're trying to make. Again, going back to a make list, channel development, um, you know, what are we asking for? So, you know, asking for a big idea is kind of pointless if you haven't worked through your media plan. If it doesn't translate to a, you know, a TV ad or you're doing something in social, the agency doesn't really, can't really base their idea into anything. So I think there's a, there's a lot of work that needs to be done on that side. And then there needs to be done, you know, kind of work done on, on the other side to be very clear about, um, you know, challenging the status quo. I mean, anytime you're looking for an agency to, 
come in and shake things up, it kind of means what we've been doing hasn't been working. <laughs> so in its simplicity, you kind of want to be curious about what hasn't worked and why. You know, and yeah. it gives you, you know, the 10 meter head start, um, you know, towards where you need to go. Well, I th- when I hear that, I think if I, if I was um, an agency invited into the room, we're not presenting, we're having, hopefully having a conversation that I should instantly flip from like stop selling and just start helping for starters. Like I'm in the room, I don't need to sell you, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's a, it sounds like there's a relationship. It's just going to take time of asking really good questions and getting to know you as a human being and getting to know, obviously, the business uh, to gain an appreciation. Um, but also, yeah, it, it's funny how I would, be, I would be a little nervous to ask a question like, hey, we're, we're here, so obviously something's not working or it, you feel it could be working a lot better. There, maybe there's an opportunity that you're not quite grasping or seizing. Um, but that's, a, that's a kind of a gutsy uh, entree into a conversation to say, hey, we're here because on some level, you guys think you're blowing it. So it's funny because, you know, we're all humans and we're all just people. And depending on how well you know the marketing partner, it tells you a lot. So some don't, will not want to have that conversation. So I'm not mm-hmm. saying, I think this is true for everyone. I think I can only speak for sort of for, for, for myself in this, um, which is that I want to, I want to see how you approach problem solving that is what I buy. It isn't the execution. That is just the way I have always been trained. I have problems, different types of commercial and customer challenges. And my job is to find good partners, internal teams to make it happen, but also partners externally that get how I work. And I think if we were joined by a couple people that you and I both know who've worked with me for over, for probably 20 years, they would tell you that is wholly based on a lot of trust. He is very honest. He needs help. When he needs help, he's very clear. We celebrate together. And that trust allows you to build even better work. So I think you have you know, partners who you've worked with for 10 or 15 years where you can get to like go from an eight to a nine. And then you might have newer relationships that are really trying to build that. I do think there's a different approach to that when you don't really know. Um, and there's, there's tactics and tricks, but no question. I, I think it's different for everyone, but I think even internally, you know, I loved pitching in the day. I really miss it. I loved kind of the hunter gatherer mentality. I love being freaked out before a huge presentation. I love that. That's why we got into the business, but I think it'd be great for people to ask, like, what do we want to get out of the session? What's really, what's the scary question we want to ask? Everything is so focused on the deck that people are blind. I guess mm-hmm. is kind of what I'm saying. They're not having a pre-conversation to say, what are we trying to get? And then you realize there's no story. There's a deck with no story. Well, you said an interesting word back in that uh, section of the conversation there several times. You said problem in contrast to the word project. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on this because I, I, you know, in my world, I work with a lot of shops that call themselves studios and production companies, and I'm always encouraging them to be more agency-esque, right? And what I find is um, a lot of people think it's about doing the project. And I'm always encouraging them, no, solve the problem. And I just, when you were going through that conversation there, I really heard you getting specific about that, 
like, I have a problem. It's not a project. I don't need someone to execute. That is a much easier solve. Is that something you would agree with, yay or nay? <clears throat> yes. And I would add, I think projects happen out of existing relationships and problem conversations happen, but they're better with new relationships. So I think there will always be projects, right? So we have this, we want to execute on this. There's a project, this is what it looks like. And it's probably someone we trust. So we're now getting into executing well. If it's an early relationship, I do think the 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 ability for and we won't we can talk about this offline because it's a very hilarious thing about what we name things agency hybrid production company like i can't even tell you right now anymore because that when people present that slide to me i want to die a slow death i find it really funny and really sweet particularly with mid-sized um agencies that are not kind of tier one we had worked with shia day um on our on our last sort of big above the line campaign and so when you're talking about agencies that are a little smaller than that, they're like, we're a hybrid decentralized thought think tank with production facilities and strategy born at the heart. So, so I kind of think, do you think that works? Like, do no. you think any of us go, wow, thank you? I don't know why. It just makes me laugh. Actually, I just laugh. I smile about it because I think someone really feels good about it. And I just think, I don't know why you're doing that. If you're well, helping me, un helping me try to... <laughs> I don't I, you, maybe you can tell me why why are people doing that? Well, they're they're doing it because they believe it works for their peers and so they think there's oh, a right. good business strategy is imitation. So, right, so a, an agency might look at another agency and say, "Well, they talk that way and they seem to have a great client list and a great body of work." So, we'll we'll kind of take that about us statement and swap out uh, collaborative for passionate and change storytelling to integrated. And, you know, it, apparently it works for everybody else. And I would agree with you. It's BS. Yeah. It's not productive. I mean, it's, it's good. It's good sort of word salad, but I don't really know if it's, <laughs> it's not nutritious. Right. It's yeah. And I think, lettuce. and I think it's, you know, it's funny because as you remembered the statement that this agency presented, uh, the one word to me that strikes me as the most offensive is the word a instead of the, mm -hmm. because if I was going to, if I was going to come in and talk to you and say, Hey, this is who we are and what we do, I would damn well make sure that that sentence that is on a big slide says we are the, because whenever we say we are a, we're just immediately saying, well, we're like it. We're one of many, whatever those things are out there. And then we're going to follow it with a word salad and I don't think it uh, inspires confidence right off the bat. But you tell me. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you know, I think one of the um, one of the things that I'm, you know, trying to, I think, communicate very poorly is that we are humans and we are trying to have a handshake. And mm. when you have someone who has a commercial problem and you're trying to meet a new partner, know that we've done our work. So we've gone to the website, we've seen the project. So anything that's publicly available, assume that we do the work. So when we finally get to say hello, if you're repeating that, it kind of tells me a lot about what you think the relationship should be. Mm. And, and I think there is a lot of value. You know, what I break it down to is also is who's quarterbacking at the agency. I would say also breaking it down. 
agencies are run differently. Sometimes they're run by strong managing directors. Sometimes it's a creative director that's leading. Sometimes they're strategy teams. But it has to feel cohesive in terms of engagement. And when you have somebody coming in that's quarterbacking, it should be like, this is what we need to land. We've heard through the grapevine that this particular marketeer is very transactional and really wants to understand kind of the, the core basics of running this campaign through these media channels. Okay, but what about this side of us that, you know, is really interesting? Should we do that? You know, it should be a conversation internally to get ready. There have been so many meetings where it starts and there are so many great, beautiful, smiling faces. Um, I'm super embarrassed when I, I will be super embarrassed uh, because we've had a couple of agency conversations recently and they might hear this and go, gosh, we should have done that. Anyway, so I'm just telling it through a third party. <laughs> But, you know, you're just sitting there and there are really nice people and a lot of, and then, you know, but I know what's going to happen. Shall we start with introduction? So the very first test is, do people have the capability to pass on to other people over Zoom so we don't stop with people looking at each other like we're on Hollywood Squares? So that's always that first moment, right? So you have a person that says, hi, my name is Janet. I am the senior planner. And when it goes right, it's like, Jeff, do you want to go? And it's just like this seamless <laughs> thing. When it goes wrong, it's, I'm like, okay, we Failed on the introduction, so awkward. <laughs> awkward, and then we go. Okay, we've got a deck, and then that deck comes up, and I'm now thinking. I don't know why I'm sharing all this with you, Joel, so openly. I'm really giving away all my secrets. It's so empathy. The, the, we're, the we're, deck we're, we're connecting we're in, on. We're in pursuit of empathy here, and we're in pursuit of empathy and the death of the kabuki. And so, you know, the kabuki comes up, and I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking. How many more slides? So you ask my team. I really like to see. This is totally terrible, but I'm going to share it. I love to see blank out of blank slides. Yes. I always tell my team, please, will you please put three out of 10 or four out of 427? Because I need to figure out when I start interjecting because <laughs> honestly, <laughs> help me. You know? <laughs> yes. Na like I call that navigational aids. And it's like, you probably learned that from your days at Sky, right? They kind of like tell the viewer where they've been, where they are, where they're going, and yeah. you know, then then what? And the same thing with in our day and age. It's like, please give me some future pacing of am I on are you on slide three of 33? Because now I officially know it's time to check out. <laughs> if we're on slide of three of eight, it's like sweet, we're gonna get to a conversation soon. Yeah, it's you know, again, I, I kind of go back to what's the story we're trying to tell. That's a really good pre-brief. We're meeting with this new partner. What is the story we're trying to tell? Mm. And one of the things that, um, again, very old school trick, but I really like the ABCDs of presentations and storytelling, which is sort of uh, to break it apart very quickly because you can do this in five seconds with anyone who's leading the, the presentation. If one of my marketing people is presenting to me, please do the ABCDs, which is A, attention-grabbing headline just in your head, what is that big headline that we're trying to land? We are here to solve your problems. We're not an agency. Okay, fine. Like, mm -hmm. What's the New York Times headline? B is benefits, which is what is the benefit to sit through this one hour? What are, how, how or us winning the account? C is creds, which is why you deserve to be in the room. So in a line, you can say, we've worked with theatrical partners for over 20 years, and we think we're uniquely positioned. That's it. C, and then D is direction of travel, what you said. So what are we broadly going to be talking about? What do we want to get out of the next hour? If you do the ABCDs, you've got it. And what's our E? No E. E is oh, time ABCD. <laughs> e is exit. Let's get out of here and, yeah, and, and get on to the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Thank you for actually, that's extremely practical and uh, eminently applicable. So that's, that's a good share. Um, I, I was going to see if we could maybe transition a bit here and 
I don't want to call it a lightning round, but there were, you and I had a conversation a few months ago and you dropped a few really interesting nuggets and wisdom bombs on me. And I thought, oh my gosh, it'd be so fun to come back and get a few thoughts on some of those things that you said. So if you're willing to be my, uh, yeah, victim, I mean, it. guest here, uh, one thing that you said was this phrase called giving bad feedback very well. Right. What does that mean? <laughs> I think, yeah, I really struggle when I watch people give feedback that is not useful. So giving bad feedback well is you have to, no one wants to hear the idea is tough, but one of the phrases that I sort of have ingrained in my head is, you know, as someone who's lucky enough to look at a lot of creative work, my job is not to just say what doesn't work. That is so easy. That's De Bono's black hat. My job is to find the tiny bud on the tree and focus everybody on the bud. You can look at an idea and say, this doesn't work. We're not doing that. Christopher Nolan will not let us do that. Okay, how useful is that? That is not useful. If we, if we say this is useful and we pinpoint a thing and we say, we had a huge campaign with Denis Villeneuve on Dune. So there was a lot of challenges around getting you know, the artwork right and in partnership with the studio and doing that. And there were things that just didn't work. And being able to land it, for example, where people are art directing around something that is meaningless, you know? So we could put a, a mountain here so it gives it a 3D thing. There are no mountains on the planet of Arrakis. <laughs> so <laughs> you want to do that. And I said that to somebody internally. I don't know why we're doing that. So I think giving, you know, negative feedback or something that doesn't work to do it in a way that's useful. And there are many tools and tricks um, to do that. Um, and, I, and I wish people would do that more. Otherwise, I don't think it feels really good for the creative partner. I don't think they're getting anything out of it. So if you think our job is to be in service of great work, if you keep saying, no, I don't know what's useful. And if there's nothing good about something, I just say, move on to the next idea. I don't spend any time. That's nice. Yeah. I was just thinking of, um, again, sort of having PTSD moments here of how many times I was the agency guy and we're presenting creative and you get that. Yeah. That's not going to work or whatever that objection is. And as you tell it now, I'm thinking, gosh, what language could I have come back with? I don't want to accuse somebody of being lazy, but that's kind of what's happening, right? Is you're, you're dealing with a client who is just not putting in the energy or the thoughtfulness to give you feedback that's actionable. But I'm <laughs> in my, in the moment right now, I'm struggling for how would I handle that in the moment with grace? I think it depends on the quality of the relationship you have with the person that is giving the feedback. You know, I, there are many kind of, this is why account handlers can, great ones can be so fantastic because they're not so close to it that they can say, we hear you and it's not going to work. But was there something in here that really did resonate? It's that the execution is wrong. Like, I, you know, how many people know the difference between an idea and an execution? So hmm. I'll look at an idea for, or I'll look at an execution for something and I'll say, what's the idea? And people stumble. An idea is, is an idea. An execution is an execution off the idea. So are you disagreeing with the idea? And then you have strategy, which is a whole yeah. other thing, which is, do we believe it's on strategy or do we believe the execution is not on strategy? So it's a lot of, I think, good conversation. Um, 
and also like respectful disagreement. You know, people should fight for what they think is right. And also at the end of the day, um, know that we can agree to disagree. We live in a world of, again, I, I think I said this to you earlier, you know, creative agencies, creatives live in a world of rejection. Yeah, they're in the no business, right? They're in the like, no business. Prior to it going to pitch, the CD is going to say this doesn't work. Prior to this, the production manager is going to say it's too expensive. But it's like stop trying to quote spare their feelings. They're not. They're not. They're not Kleenex. They are tougher than you realize. And when I see that from any marketer that's worked for me, I cringe. I find it so rude and placating. Where oh, I really like why you could just and maybe it's my time in Britain. You know, again, I think part of it was just a very neutralness, which I really enjoyed that felt like you were, it wasn't about this big, noisy sort of presentation and feedback. It was, it was, it was very, I, I, I liked it. It was, mm. it was very different than what I see here. Yeah. To me, if, if I ever got feedback, like, mm, let's just move on. That would be so refreshing. Like, okay, great. Close the door on that. Like yeah. the idea didn't work. The execution didn't work, M- you know, move on and let's, let's find something that does work. There was another phrase here that uh, we, sh- when in our previous conversation, where you talked about this idea of sometimes your mission is to, quote, create a pause. Mm. Yeah. What was that in reference to? That was just marketing communications in America, North America, in, in, in the, everything is about shouting as loud as possible. There's too much choice and there's, we're in the middle of a sea change. So you've got changing consumer behavior, you have media channel change, you have the growth in social, a shift in so many things. So if you're trying to solve everything, it's really difficult. And, you know, I, I'd use that phrase, I think, on a, on a brief where the goal is to create a pause that allows us to drive a reappraisal. So, you know, in, in, in this, the, 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 the kind of the cycle Folks can't kind of see me drawing on the screen, but sort of in the, in the cycle, you have predetermined behaviors with, with the customer type. I think I have plenty of good TV at home. I don't need additional TV. That, thus, I'm not looking for the content in new TV. Thus, I'm very happy with my current you know, regular TV, and I don't need paid TV. You go in a circle. And so what you have to do is break the cycle by saying there's something new, different, exclusive, and unique, but you have to do in a way that creates a pause, even internally or externally, like that's our job. What is a striking enough creative idea um, that is creating a moment where now you're able to drive reappraisal and then now the creative execution then seeps into their to their soul. Yeah, I heard you use the words external and internal there. What, what did you mean by internal? Well, I think it's also, you know, I think many companies right now, many brand teams, many marketing teams are taxed. So they feel very transactional. And so they feel like they've got a lot of briefs that they got to move. You know, we've got a lot of challenges globally with talent, you know, post the, the great reshuffle or whatever we're calling it this year. And so, you know, if you don't create a pause on internal teams, go, whoa, 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 you know, is this going to work? Why do we think this is going to work? Um, you know, you're not able to create a pause to get to great work. I've been mm. lucky enough, I think in my career, to have seen incredible work happen. And I know the magic that happened early on to get to that. And so I have kind of a recipe of pause, challenging conversation, you know, like I've seen all of it. I've been lucky enough to be kind of a, to, to be um, a viewer in that. So I, I try to recreate that wherever possible. So pause is definitely a tool. Now you've, in, you've mentioned uh, the concept of the brief 
multiple times, right, throughout the, the conversation. And I'm just curious for your perspective, because there were some things that you said in our previous conversation about briefs, and it made me wonder, do we, and I'm going to maybe say collectively Americans, <laughs> do we suck at the brief? I mean, a brief is a tool to an end. So it is as good or as bad as it needs to be. I think briefs come in all shapes and sizes. I went on a, I had a, a call this morning where I interrogated marketing strategy, creative strategy, commercial strategy. And I felt like the person, hopefully they're not listening to this right now, had kind of exploded because they felt really sort of thrown. Challenged. And I'm like, that's a creative strategy. That's not a marketing strategy. And, you know, it's really obvious to me because I know the difference between kind of the baton pass, between a brief that is a marketing brief and then a brief that is a creative brief. You know, if you've never worked in kind of good holistic environments, you realize that some marketeers are using creative briefs from agencies as their briefs. And then some internal agencies are writing marketing briefs because the marketing person like so it's very confusing from a from a CMO's perspective. I think a brief is simply a very quick shorthand of what we're trying to achieve. And it's an early roadmap. And then you break up the brief into very many things. You know, you have different briefs for different reasons. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to be a part of t a team at Sky where we were at the heart of all the sort of sort of the central briefing process between creatives and marketeers. And, you know, a brief that has an objective that says, you know, make, make, make this title unmissable is not really useful to a creative team. So, you know, the writing of a creative brief for creative agencies, and also to be frank, please don't share those creative briefs with your marketeer because marketeers get very upset that it's like, well, the storyline is not about that character. Why are you making it about that? Well, this is a tool. Like I also believe in a very cheesy phrase, tools, not rules. I believe and to get to great creative work, we must create tools, not rules. And so, you know, it's like a box of crayons. The more tools we can give with a narrow focus, you, you do want a ring fence and you do want to have kind of a sandbox that people can play in. You don't want white briefs. Give me the power, of, you know, of a tight brief. Obviously, one of, the, one of the most famous quotes from the advertising world. Like, I'm curious, do you, do you find it uh, invigorating or annoying when your creative partners like agencies uh, challenge the brief? No, I don't find it annoying. I think, you know, I, I think it's a great conversation. If something doesn't make sense, you should ask. I mean, the, even challenging versus being inquisitive. Yeah. You know, are you looking for a challenging, you know, agency? Are you looking for inquisitive? Are you looking for someone who's super abrasive? Are you, there's really benefits to all types. So sometimes you do want an agency who can be slightly more, you know, we had a brand agency at, at, at Sky where they were kind of a de facto kind of neutral Switzerland who would just be like, why are you, you know, that, that was their role. So I think everybody, <clears throat> everybody brings something different. That I think you should be inquisitive. Yeah, I, I, I remember many times the probably my biggest frustration with the brief process was um, when a TV network say would come at us with a brief, and then when we would reference the brief a month later as we we're in in moving into execution, um, often the client was like, "Oh, I haven't looked at that thing." in a month, like I, that thing is ancient history. And we're, we're like, well, we're still using this as our, as our guideposts, right? As our, are we delivering on this? Um, so that, that was a common frustration for me, but I, I'm sure that doesn't happen in your, in your world. I mean, everything happens in our world. We can get it wrong. I mean, again, this is, this is a business. I think all of us who are lucky enough to be in this business, it's a, it's a real honor. 
Yeah, and so I think we feel like we always get it right. We don't get it right. I mean, I, I, I you know, I, I think, um, you know, hopefully those that are listening um, to the podcast, what they'll take out is where we need help. You know, marketeers have bigger challenges than ever before, and we don't have all the tools at our disposal and creativity is a, is a tool for good. So you wield an incredible resource. It's just getting at the right place at the right time setting yourself up for it, um, you know, being present, you know, again, I think there's a whole side of like how to not overly business develop a relationship and what that looks like. And I've seen really good partners do that well. And just to be set up and to know that, you know, we are open for business and we do want help. Well, I love that encouragement. And it, I think it's a, a good point to sort of end on is, and maybe the question I, I'd love to ask you is, are you more optimistic or pessimistic uh, about the future of certainly, you know, your role, the brand that you're working at, but our, our industry of creatives? Oh, I'm hyper bullish. I'm hyper optimistic. I'm so thankful that I've been able to work with folks that have been able to translate solutions to the problems that are very mounting. I mean, you know, just a, a couple of years ago, there was a lot to talk about the future of cinema. Um, a, a thing, a storytelling tool that is the heartbeat of humanity. And I would, I would shudder to think what the world will look like without movie theaters, you know, first dates, weekends, night out, um, first weekend for Avatar, Avatar 2, you know, what that feels like. And so I'm very optimistic and I'm always optimistic because I see great work that comes out that's inspiring. And then I see eyes light up when they see that I'm excited. And then now the work gets started. Like that's why we're in the business. We're not trying to say no to work. It also with great power comes, you know, the ability to say that doesn't work. You didn't get it. It was wrong. We're not proceeding with you. And this is why, and the power of explaining why, so you don't do it again. And I've had some really great partners who didn't get it right the first couple of times and they have, in the future and it's been fantastic so i'm super optimistic i think if you're in the business and you're feeling the pressure of finding new partners and finding new business know that there's a need for the service that you deliver i want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about it's our online community called rev community it's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement, to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas, economic trends, and it's a place to research. Check out many of the resources we have online, our videos, and of course, this podcast. Join us today at revthink.com community. If you're a creative studio owner, feel free to join us today at revthink.com slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.